and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. On The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses. How to build businesses and wealth that would outlive the founders and have sustained impact, not only over time, but also over space. And we have these conversations with authenticity, vulnerability, and pure curiosity. This week, I was joined by a powerhouse, powerhouse lady, Eunice Ajim, who is a founder of Ajim Capital, an early stage VC fund that invests in early stage businesses in tech in Africa. Now, Eunice has just mind-blowing background. She has six years experience of work, work experience post-college, Having started her career in Apple, um, was not fulfilled and wanted to go out into the world and build things. And she did that, founded a company called DataGig and building an online marketplace, had challenges of starting the company, ran out of money, was homeless. Her car was repossessed. But in spite of that, she kept showing up. She tells us about that story. It's phenomenal. And as she continued to show up with grit and tenacity and persistence, she met a collaborator where they then co-founded a more successful business, raised money, hired employees, grew the business and raised capital. As she always tried to bring in Africa into everything she did and really got plugged into the Africa opportunity and saw spaces and places to add value in particularly the fintech space in Africa. And that led her to Ajim Capital. So I feel like I've kind of just given out all the tea um, on what's to come. But um, Eunice does a much better job than me. I just gave you like a flash through everything we spoke about. That it was a phenomenal episode. I learned so much from her. I was so inspired and I encourage you to tune in and enjoy. Thank you. Hi, Eunice. Welcome to Connected Generation. I'm excited to have you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me today. It should be really good fun. I mean, today you're founder of Ajim Capital, an early stage fund that provides startup capital startup capital to founders in Africa. Can you just share more about how did you get here? I want to hear the backstory of who's Eunice and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, definitely. So again, I'm Eunice Ajim, uh, founding partner at Ajim Capital. But I guess before we even get into like what I do, um, it would be nice to just give a quick background about myself. Um, but I'm originally from Cameroon, out of Central Africa. And I've been in the U.S. for a little bit over 10 years now. Um, came here as an international student. Um, and um, if you've been an international student in the U.S., <laughs> you know, you have your own path and journey um, in school and a lot of other things. Um, mm. Right after graduation, um, I did what, you know, most international students do, look for a job because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, my first job eventually was at Apple, um, was doing that for about a year and a half. I just realized that I couldn't hold it. Like, I just had this burning fire in me as an entrepreneur, uh, wanting to just go out there and build new things. And mm. I just realized that corporate America was not for me. <laughs> um, so I eventually quit my job and started my first tech company. It wow. Was called so Game. one and a half years into your career. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> But the thing is, I was already an entrepreneur even while I was in college, right? Mm-hmm. So I had a small business doing hair. <laughs> uh, and that's pretty much how I paid for my tuition in the US, my, you know, like my living expenses. And living from that, right? Like making so much money as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and then starting a brand new career with a regular job wasn't like, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't giving me the, the, the hype of like, okay, like we're doing something new today it was very like, okay, like I wake up, got to be at work at nine and then I'll do whatever they ask me and then I have to get into traffic at 5 p.m. And like, <laughs> you know, and it wasn't, it was not for me. So mm-hmm. I eventually left and started my first tech company and that was Data Gig. Um, it was an online marketplace connecting data scientists with SMEs. 
And the reason why I came up with that idea was just because I was in the data space. It was very new, very similar to how Web3 and the metaverse is sexy right now. Right now. AI machine learning was the thing. Like everybody mm. wanted to get involved in AI and machine learning. Like we didn't even know what it meant, but everybody was excited about it. So I said, okay, um, the big guys are capable of hiring, you know, hundreds of these data science professionals. Mm. How about figure out a way to help young professionals break into the industry, but also by helping SMEs, um, you know, find convenient talents. And I thought I'll go out there, I'll build a technology, and I'll be a billionaire. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't work that way. Starting a company is very difficult. Mm. You're getting through several, I mean, from um, product development, especially when you're a solo founder, you have to figure out how to be your MVP. You have to figure out how to get your first customer. You have to mm. figure out how to, like, you know, be really good at storytelling so that you can sell investors, customers, potential employees. I mean, it took a lot out of me. And being a first-time tech entrepreneur versus, mm. like, a regular business mm. was a different switch in mindset. Um, and that experience was crazy. <laughs> you know the story, so... Um, I guess, you know, like, you know, about a year into it, I was really struggling. I couldn't pay my rent. So um, I technically became homeless, which, again, I wasn't sleeping on the streets, right? But I was sleeping on, like, friends' couches, right? Whoever would let me, you know, spend a few days until they chased me out of the house. Hmm. I had a car note because I couldn't keep up with the payment anymore. Like struggles after struggles after struggles and um the thing that I always tell people is like despite all of that right like I was struggling and I was crying and like things were hard but despite all of that I wake up every single day I'll put on my suit I'll put on my makeup I'll take the bus <laughs> right and then I'll wow. show up to every single meeting wow. um and I think the fact that, you know, despite all of, and like a lot of these things all happened within the space of like weeks. It's like God was testing me. He was like, wow. you know, like I'm just going to throw it at you and I'll see if you give up or if you keep doing what you're doing. And I kept doing it. And I remember eventually I came across, you know, just this particular investor that was just bumped up about, you know, like what I was doing and the industry that I was. And we started having conversation about potential collaborations and mm. before I realized it, you know, he wanted us to start a company together, um, was going to put in the initial investments, and I was going to come in as a CEO. Mm. And I was like, okay, like, this is a great way to just turn things up. And you see an amazing opportunity. You, you jump know? on it. <laughs> and I you was jump. like, so immediately closed the first company. We, you know, joined forces the second one you know within like our first six months we raised about 700 you know k in like pre-seeds mm-hmm. um you know hired our first few employees and started just like you know working on all the things that you have to do as a startup founder from building product you know bringing on users you know pitching and fundraising and all these different things um and eventually grew the company um two years later we raised another round of funding um, I, about a three million seat, um, started bringing on, you know, like very high profile customers and we were doing really good. And I guess why that was happening, I've always tried to figure out a way how to bring Africa into everything that I do. Like mm. even my, like even my, my previous companies, you know, me being an international student in college, like I remember my small business was like, Hey, if you're an international student, and you need money, like if you're a woman, right, and you need money, um, come work with me, <laughs> right? And like, I can help mm. you make a little bit of money while you're going to school. Very similar. My first company, Data Gig, I was mentoring Africans on how to become data scientists. Mm. My following company, whenever we decided, okay, we wanted to hire an engineering team, I said, let's look at Africa. Like, let's not, let's not look at India. Let's not look at Europe. Like, let's go straight to Africa. And I remember my co-founder saying, 
are there actually software developers in Africa? And I said, give me the chance, I will find them, right? And it was very challenging because it was, at least I was not aware of like any websites where I could specifically go and mm. only find African talent. Mm. So go into like GitHubs, you know, meetups, like different, like call my connects that was on the continent and say, hey, do you know any software developers? that you know i can hire and like that's how we eventually brought in i think about five people from three different countries and they were doing really good and i guess the next challenge that we faced was payment it was very hard to figure out a way to implement them in our payroll systems right Mm. because some of them like in nigeria for example we couldn't wire money through the online banking system so i had to drive manually to the bank at the end of every month you know pay their money and then it would take like five to ten business days for them to get it again not a good experience for an employee and also like not a good feeling for an employer and i think the more we started having these issues the more it got me curious i'm like there must be a company out here right Mm -hmm. that makes it easy for you to find african talents i remember like getting in like a few you know like I, I i got curious and i joined like a few angel groups and syndicates that were very specific in investing in africa and i said hey do you guys know if there was like any platforms where i can just go and hire only african talents and then a few names started popping up and i'm like how is the company doing are they fundraising i want to get into their deals and you know, thankfully, I found one that was called Talent Cure. I was like, okay, I want to invest. I think there are not a lot of them. We definitely need this. And then when the payment situation came, I was like, is there any platform here that makes it easy for employers in America to be able to pay their mm-hmm. employees in Africa? And like at the time, one of my employees that was an African, right, knew it was an issue for us. So he started mm-hmm. working on the product to make it easy. And, you know, he did it and it worked. He eventually raised one million in pre-seed. I was one of the angel investors and Mm. he left my company and went to build this product. And I was like, this is great. And I think that was really my introduction to like angel investment and the African opportunity for tech. And then the more I dig in, the more I realized how come as an African in the U.S., I did not know that there was such a booming African tech entrepreneurial ecosystem on the mm. ground. Mm. Um, and I just kept angel investing. And then I realized, wait a minute, like, I don't have that much money. <laughs> I need to figure out a way how I can actually launch my own VC firm. Mm. And I'll invest specifically in African tech companies. I and when I have ideas and like, it's something that God keeps reminding me on a daily basis. I say, you know what? I'm going to go for it. And eventually wow. in September of last year, I decided, I spoke with my co-founders, told them what, like, what my heart was telling me to do. And they were very supportive of the idea and decided that, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to launch a VC fund that invests in African tech companies. I know, I guess like a long story, so... <laughs> No, it's an amazing story. I didn't even stop you because I didn't I didn't want to interrupt your story because it's so organic. It's a story full of boldness and courage and it's it is so inspiring. So how much post-college experience do you have right now? So how 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 many years have you been working entrepreneuring? Yeah, so I graduated in May of 2016. Wow. So six years. <laughs> And you've done all this. Yeah. It's so inspiring. Um, that, that, that is mind-blowing. Um, I didn't even think about it until you asked me. I'm actually, how long have I been working? Girl, there are people that like have had many of this, from the decision you made to leave Apple, there are many people that are sitting in corporate careers and are holding on to the stability and the safety and the comfort of what they know. And they have ideas, but they haven't stepped out on those ideas. Yeah. So that's why I applaud your your bravery and your courage for you, you went in with your intuition. Um, you were feeling that niggling restlessness, like there's got to be more than this. And you went for it. And it wasn't comfortable. As you said, you told us the story. I want to know more about, like you said, there were a series of challenges you faced in a very compressed period of time. 
take us yeah. back there. How did your knees show up day after day? Like you said, keep on wearing your suits when you don't even know whose couch you're going to sleep on. You don't know that like, your car's been repossessed. Take us back to that season of your life. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't even know how I survived, right? And keeping in mind, I'm an international student, and that was another one, right? Like that, a lot of people that sometimes I forgot, right, that I was still an immigrant, right? Yeah. In the U.S. on top of all of that. Mm. Um, and <laughs> um, I was, I mean, as, as a founder, you have to think outside of the box, right? Mm -hmm. Um, you have to have some, you have to have great, you have to mm. be persistent and consistent and optimistic, right? Optimistic, About the future. Yeah. Um, I remember I kept reminding myself that, you know, after the thunder and the rain and, you know, the way things feel right now, there's a rainbow on the other side, right? Like mm. the sun's out of all of this. And really, I mean, I think the beginning really started with, you know, just, you know, like my my rent lease was ending and prior to it ending like every single month I was struggling to like pay for it so mm -hmm. I got to the point where like by the time my contract was ending I was like well instead of me just keep you know struggling paying rent and like my rent was not even expensive I was renting a room in an apartment so you can really imagine how you know like struggling I could barely eat you know I could barely pay rent and um, luckily, God has a good way of just putting, you know, during specific seasons. And mm. when I couldn't pay the rent, I, you know, I reached out to if like the first person that I reached out to actually was, you know, one of my girlfriends. And she said, yeah, you need, I don't like you can come sleep every other night, but I don't know if I want you to like permanently live here type of mm. thing. And, OK, great. And then I reached out to like one of my guy friends. I knew he had a two bedroom. He was an entrepreneur as well. Um, and I was like, Hey, you know, like my rent anymore. Will you allow me to crash? Right. Mm -hmm. I will cook. I will clean, you know, like I will do whatever I can, um, to be able to survive. And like, you know, like that could help out with like me subsidizing that for like, instead of paying you rent, you know, clean and I'll do it. I know you're a busy entrepreneur just like me. And he agreed, but we just had too many issues. Like it was not a very, um, good in um and you know after like a few weeks of being there obviously my car got repossessed like I was I remember going to do like one of my odd jobs just so I like, could get a little bit of cash and then I mm -hmm. got out of the of on the parking and I'm looking for my car and I can't find it and back in in the back of my mind I had not been paying it for like maybe like two or three months already so I knew it was coming so when I got out and I realized that my car was not, I was like, oh, dang, I think they came and they took it away. Mm. And it was crazy. But like you, you just like you change your mindset. Like I remember my dad telling me that like, you're always over optimistic, right? Like even like when things hit you and it's hard, you're always trying to make it seem like everything will be fine. So again, like these are just like circumstances that happen. But again, like I mentioned earlier, right? Like, it didn't stop me from like showing up every single day for my clients, showing up for opportunities, showing up for pitch deck, showing up for networking events. Um, and that's what it takes to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to give you like one example though, that was Please. not necessarily like a struggling example, but it was more of like a thing outside of the box. So there was this conference that everybody was going. Like if you're in Austin, it's called Collision Conference. It's a big entrepreneur and investor conference. And I remember the tickets to those conferences were about $1,000, right? Obviously, I didn't have the money. But out of the blue, I had been manifesting that I wanted to go to that conference with absolutely no money. And mm -hmm. two days before the conference, one of my friends called me and he's like, hey, you need to have an investor meeting. I was supposed to go to this conference. Take it anymore. If you're willing, right, take my conference tickets. And wow. I was like... When I'm talking to you about manifestation, this is a good example. I remember checking my bank account and I had $70. You, you had $70? $70, 70 at, at the time in my bank account. And I was just given a free, you know, $1,200 ticket 
to go to a conference in New Orleans and have $70 in my bank account. The conference was for free. Mm. So I check flights online and I see a flight for $35. Back then, this was a spirit flight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I took that flight to New Orleans for $35. So I had $35 left in my bank account. Probably like wow. 30 by now because I probably used like $5 to eat something. <laughs> and then I get to New Orleans. I don't have a place to sleep. I don't know how I'm going to be eating. I don't even know how I'm going to be like, you know, like moving around, right? Obviously, I, I was taking like the cheapest like buses, like, you know, like I know I'm staying like $2 on the bus, taking like days to move around. I get to the conference the first day. It's amazing. It's like a happy hour. And then I'm thinking like, man, how am I going to sleep tonight? And I just speak to a random person at the conference. I'm like, hey, um, I've been trying to find a place to sleep, but like it seems like everything is booked out because of the conference. I don't know what to do. And luckily, this person lives in New Orleans. He's like, wow. hey, and it's like I understand. Yeah, like everything is booked out right now. You can sleep on my couch, right? And tomorrow morning, you can figure out a new way to like, you know, find a hotel or something. This guy did not know that I did not have the money. <laughs> wow. So I'm like, oh, thank you so much. So I was coming to this happy hour and I had my suitcase. I just took my suitcase. I went, I slept on his couch. In the morning, I woke up, shower, put on my suit. I am a suit girl. Um, and then I showed up to the conference in my suitcase. Luckily, to this conference, you could have your suitcase stay at the front desk and then you pick it up when you're leaving. At the conference, I'm networking, right? And I'm speaking to this guy that has a religious app. It's like a Ghanaian guy. He's building like a Christian app, you know, like, and he's just passionate about it. But in the meantime, he's also complaining how his hotel gave him two queen beds instead of one king bed. And mm. he's really mad. He's like, I asked him for a king bed. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, you won't believe it. I've been struggling to find a place to stay. <laughs> Because everything is booted out and um, I, I can't find anything. He said, oh, Eunice, it's fine. Like, you know, and I don't, for some reason, I just believe this guy because he, he was building a Christian. Yeah. I know he wouldn't have the wrong intentions. And he was very genuine. He get, he said, hey, you can stay and now you don't have to pay me anything. So. Wow. My sleeping arrangement for the rest of the conference. And because my flight was $35, I had to stay an extra day after the conference just to meet, you know, my flight timeline. The last day of the conference, I just slept at the airport. And then throughout the conference, I don't know how. Again, because I was sleeping, I was, um, you know, sharing the same um, room with this guy. When he would take an Uber to the conference, we just ride together. Just together. Right? So I don't have to worry about paying for the ride. Throughout the conference, people invite me for food, like investors invited me for dinners. Like I just and I went through the whole conference without worrying about anything. Money. I think this is still one of like my best experience as an entrepreneur of like, hey, like think outside of the box, you know, yeah. get to where you need to be and then figure it out when you get there. That is such an amazing story. And you mentioned hope. Yeah. You know, in spite of the challenges, you had hope. And you were just showing up, trusting that whatever you needed per time would be supplied. And is that the manifestation you talk about? Because I hear this manifestation something all the time. I don't really understand what it is, right? So please explain manifestation 101. What is it? I think. How did you, or how did you manifest it? Because you said you manifested this New Orleans thing. What were you doing to manifest it? I think it's just, I think manifestation is just like, 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 believing that something would happen even when all the odds are telling me that there's no way it will happen right so yeah like, i am it's, yeah it's like it's like extraordinary fits it's like you you're telling yourself that it's going to happen like i like you see yourself doing it like and and again I'm, i mentioned like like all my surrounding entrepreneurs were going to this thing so i believe and like Eventually, some of my like my first few customers came from this conference, right? Wow. During my second company, I actually worked with a company that I found at this conference. One of the people that had bought me dinner, right? Mm. 
you eventually had a business later on into, you know, my endeavors. But um, manifestation is just like a crazy belief in like what you're doing and like just knowing that God will figure out a way to make it okay. And, and, and it's because of situations like that, that even when I was struggling later on during my career of being an entrepreneur, I just knew that this is the time when God is testing me and all these things are going to happen to me. But there's rainbow and sunshine on the other side of this. Mm, that's beautiful. That's really yeah. beautiful. And so you then went into a season of co-founding this business with some partners. Talk us through moving from Eunice on her own with Data Gig to now being in a collaborative environment. What was that like? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it was definitely like having the right, like that's what sometimes like in this world, having the right people and um, and the right network around you definitely makes a difference. Um, I was Eunice, right, like on my own with this strong African accent, young, you know, like woman that is like over optimistic about the world, um, trying to do things. But sometimes you just realize that just having, you know, like my co-founders were older, respectable white male, right? And it just changed. And it's unfortunate that like it changed the way people sure. view our company um, in the sense that I was struggling to raise money for a very long time. And then immediately I have somebody that has, a, and he had the, 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 the qualifications. He had successfully built another company the company was like, you know, I think at the time raising like a series B um, and he had the qualification. So if people knew that he was starting a company, right, obviously his network and all of that was very helpful in like us fundraising. He had experience selling to Fortune 500 clients, the Facebooks mm-hmm. and the West Fargo's of the world. Um, so when then we, we knew exactly who we needed to hire, how we needed to approach them. And I think for me, that was like a big switch into I'm figuring out like I have somebody that understands and then me, right, how it should be done. And I'm putting it out to the world. Mm. Um, and it's not that it was easy. easy. It's just that mm. <laughs> um, I did have, you know, it wasn't just like me working on my own. It was like we had a team and the importance of a good team definitely changed um, everything. I'm sure. I'm sure. And you, you mentioned that you always try to bring Africa into everything. And it was just this very organic, you know, like the example you gave with trying to get African software developers and then the challenges in paying them. And then you started looking deeper into what does the landscape look like? How can I provide more support to the ecosystem? And that led to Ajim Capital. Can you just share more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm African, I think. And I'm proud. <laughs> Let me just say that. Um, and I think I'm one of those people like that, you know, before I like in my early days still in college. Right. I remember having journals um, about, you know, like having a dream for like a better Africa. Right. Mm. Um, being one of the people that really helped change the way people see us. Right. Um, taking Africa from. Um, a developing to like a developed continent. Um, being in an Africa where like we all have affordable health care, we all have the best education for our kids, right? We all have quality standards of living. Like that's the Africa that I want to see. Mm-hmm. But when you're young and you're a kid and like you have all these dreams, you're like, God, why are you telling me this? How am I supposed <laughs> to do it? You know, like, and, and like I had big journals about how I think I'm going to change the continent, right? Like all these different ideas um, and potential companies um, that I wanted to build for the continent. It was like hundreds. Like I'm one of wow. those, like if you enter my domain names, I have so many companies that I wanted to build, but I just knew that there's no way, nobody has done that. There's no way you as a single person can companies can make this big difference it takes a lot of us to be able to make that change so I was like well god I'm going to do my little parts you know like I'm going to figure out in in anything that I can touch 
how can I impact my brothers and sisters, right? How can I help them with my little part? And then like Nikki does her little part. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like that other person does their little part. And if we keep, you know, really pushing to change of Africa, then something might happen. So in this particular, my second company, we had money, we were looking to hire. The job market in 2020 was crazy. Like a lot of people were killing their jobs. A lot of people were getting fired. Mm. You know, like people that left didn't want to go back into the workforce. And like we were really struggling to hire. And I said, why don't we look Africa? And Mm. my co-founders were hesitant for a minute. They were like, well, it's there. And I said, yeah, let's give it a shot. Um, and after hiring them, they saw the value of how talented, right? These young Africans were, despite the fact that they didn't necessarily like go to school for it, they had literally learned it online on their own. They didn't even go for like a boot camp. It was really just like, you know, like projects online and like, so like just that determination and like how hardworking they were, um, I told myself, like, I got to do more. Like, maybe there's an opportunity here where, um, and also, and I also think that the fact that we were capable of raising so much money as VCs, mm. right? Mm. Like, you, you have an idea, you build something a little bit, and then you go out and then you show investors, and then they give you money, and then you're like, oh, now I have all this money, now I can actually hire people. Now I can grow my company faster than I could if I didn't have the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I saw what, how powerful that was, I was like, hey, Eunice, you don't have to create all of those companies yourself. You remember all the ideas that you had? I'm pretty sure somebody somehow oh, that is African, you know, already has that idea and that potentially building it. And that would be the sole purpose. Like they, like they wouldn't be like you where you probably have a hundred along the line where like, I want to build all of these companies. And I got to this stage when I had ideas about, I'm pretty sure it's a company building this for talent. I mm. found them. I wrote a small check, right? Not a big one. Oh, somebody could figure out a way to make it easy for me to pay my employees on the continent. I find somebody or somebody picks up the idea and they start working on it. And that's your whole bread and butter. You put a little bit of money. It helps them. They grow. And I said, wait a minute. VCs give you money and they help you scale your company. And they're not necessarily like stuck with just one idea. They can invest in as much as possible. And they're helping with economic development. They're helping creating jobs, right? Because immediately, if you have a population where you have 100 startup companies, right, that have raised money, those 100 companies have raised maybe like anything between three to five million. Now they can hire 100 people each, right? Now you have 100 people in your community and those 100 people now have good salaries, which, which means they can get a good place to live, right? If they are married and they have kids, they can take their schools to really good schools, private schools, mm-hmm. right? If, you know, the, 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 the kids are sick or they are sick, they will have good opportunities, good health care. And for me, I was like, I, I think this is the way I might be able to do my little part of mm. changing the economy to some extent, right? It might not be a lot, but at least you start with something. Um, and that's exciting every day. That's why I'm so passionate about what I'm doing. That's why I wake up every day and I sell the African dream every single person I come across. Yeah, and honestly, your energy, your vibrancy, your zeal, it comes across, like, your passion. It comes across on your social media. Like, you have so much joy in in doing what you do. And for those that are um, have not necessarily invested in Africa before, can you just give, you put, like, a question, I think it was on your social media, like, kind of, like, putting big, um, making the case for why Africa remains um, a very strong investment opportunity. Just give us a summary of your view of Africa in the next 10 years in the tech space specifically. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited about the continent, um, especially the African tech ecosystem. I think we, and again, it's just like one small industry out of all the booming industries that are currently happening on the continent. 
Um, it is the industry that I'm familiar with. So I can tell you exactly why I think it's going to be one of the biggest contributing factors um, of our economy. I think if we just take it back to even the U.S. and we really look, what are some of the, and, and this is why I'm so excited about the private market, what are some of the biggest companies when you think of public markets, right? Mm. Some of the companies in America that have the most employees, hire the most people, right, have completely changed the way, um, you know, just corporate America looks like. Who are those? You think Amazon, you think Facebook, you think Google, you think Apple, right? You think all these different, you know, the big thing. Um, but what people don't realize is that I don't remember, I don't remember how like Amazon probably just celebrated 20 or 30 years, something like that. Um, but what people don't realize is that before Amazon started employing millions and millions of people across the world, Amazon was a startup. Exactly. Right? In the early 90s or 80s. So <laughs> I don't know Amazon, how old Amazon is. It was a small startup that said, the internet is right people are paying you know like people are, are, are now people are, are adopting funds you know people are getting on the internet people are doing things and i believe that the internet is going to change the way we interact and the way we do things so i'm going to build something that makes it easy for people to buy things online Mm. right and people said you're crazy this is risky this is da 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 right and then like the few private VCs, like investors so vcs right that took a bet on amazon early on they probably bought amazon when amazon were valued at like cents right maybe like 30 50 60 cents maybe the ones that came in later they were already valued at a dollar or two or three or four or five right? That's how affordable they were to take ownership and help Amazon grow. So they don't even know how much Amazon is valued at, yeah. right? Yeah. Hundreds, if not thousands of thousands. Thousands. It's in thousands for sure. Thank mm. you. Mm. <laughs> that was, I, I don't follow much of the public market, but like probably thousands of dollars. Imagine if you bought Amazon, right, when it was just valued at 50 cents mm. and then you hold for 10 years. 15 years, 20 years, right? But not just that, like you make money, but that's not it. Like how many people is Amazon impacting right now? How many jobs has it created? And we're not just talking corporate jobs. We're talking drivers, right? We're talking people yeah. working at the warehouses. We're talking people working, you know, as software developers. I mean, we're talking AWS and all these different things that Amazon has been able to create. Mm. This was, what, 20 years ago, right? We are all, we too are Africans. We both know that, like, mobile penetration is just getting started in Africa, right? Mm. I was just speaking with my mother-in-law two weeks ago. My husband and I decided to buy her smartphone. We bought her solar, right? So she's in the village. We installed wow. solar panels, we bought her smartphone, right? So now she has internet. She has access to internet connection. She has access to power. She has a smartphone and she calls us video. And some of her friends in the village were saying hi to me and my husband in the way I made her like, wow, this is magic. <laughs> so your son is in America and she's calling up here and we can see them and it's like they are right next to us. Right. And this is a crazy example, but like we all know the younger crowd uh, have smartphones that, you know, that penetrating on the Internet. Every single one of us now have the social media platform. Everything. My, 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 my little brother is studying um, stuff, uh, computer science. My other brother recently launched a digital platform to help my dad's school get all his students online. Right. So like internet is just penetrating the continent. Mm -hmm. And there are countries that are a little bit more advanced than others, right? But where America was 15, 20 years ago is where we are just getting started. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate, right? But and, and it's a problem, but this problem is an opportunity, you know, for us to figure out a way how we can use technology 
to improve our lives, to improve the economy. And, and I try to take a very simple example. I could, I could give you all the numbers and all the math, but that's boring. No, the story and, the, and the, that is... Exactly, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and everything that we do today, like I sit in my house, I have the AC, I have, you know, like I want to order food, I order it online, it gets delivered to me. I want to do something. I depend so much on my phone and the applications that are on it. I think, you know, like Africa is just picking up to that. And again, when I say Africa, people people have different opinions, right, <laughs> about that. And and I keep mentioning different countries. I mean, like yes. Lagos, you cannot compare the, 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 how advanced Lagos is, right, to so like a small city in Cameroon, for example, right? Exactly. You cannot compare Cairo to like, you know, a place it's, in Abidjan, right? So we all have our differences and where we are in... Um, our level of integration and acceptance of technology, but the continent is huge and the opportunities are endless. And I think now is the time we're just getting started. Mm. Last year, for example, about 5 billion in VC money went across the continent and everybody started out like, oh yeah, 5 billion. You know, that is like 2018, 2019 and 2020 combined. And I said, I live in Austin, Texas a small city in, in Texas, right? Like, and that's about how much Austin brought in VC money last mm-hmm. year. So when you're comparing a whole the continent, whole continent, the largest continent, a small city in Austin, we're just at the peak. We're just getting started. And you need to understand that this is not a short-term game. You can be coming and investing and be like, what will my return looks like in three to five years? I'll tell you like, how much did Amazon return in three to five years? Like we are in the long term game. I, as a VC, I invest for the long term. I don't think Africa is going to change, or the way we live and the way things is, you know are going to change in the next three to five years. Give me tickets. Let's mm-hmm. stop in the next ten to twenty years, mm-hmm. right? Um, and now we could have that conversation. So, like the VC landscape is just getting started. Like anything that is new, it is risky, but high risk are high returns. So that's about what I can say about like my interest and why I think Africa is so exciting right now. Amazing, amazing. I want to know more about how fundraising's been. I mean, all the data suggests that, you know, in the VC space, Black founders get only 1.4% of all funding. And female founders get only 2% of all funding. How has that journey been for Eunice when you've left your collaboration where you had your partners who were white men? Um, and as you said, during that collaboration, it was easier to raise funding than when you were founder of Data Gig. How has funding been for you now? I mean, <laughs> funding is always like fundraising is always an interesting topic. Um, and I don't believe fundraising is supposed to be easy, right? Um, there are definitely people that it's just easier because you have to walk, right? Mm-hmm. You have the right people around you. I mean, I've spoken to a few VCs, like, you know, my white counterparts, and um, some of the first million from their dad, right? Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, their friends and families got in and, you know, when you have the first few millions, it's easier for you to take that and go to like now the big investor and say, oh yeah, I already have five million. You want to come in on that, right? Mm-hmm. But when you don't have that network, you have to think outside of the box. I knew, I, I mean, my, most of my family is still based on the continent. I've had my little success here in the U.S. as a startup founder, but I knew that the VC game, raising money from VC, is a different game than raising money from LPs. Mm -hmm. So I had to think of a different strategy. And my personal strategy was a combination of inbound. Like, I take my VC firm, and I'm big in marketing. The first person that I hired (laughs) when I decided to launch my company was a head of marketing. It's somebody that was good at growth marketing. Like, she's like a growth marketer. Um, if I may say, and we brainstorm ideas around how are people like every single time somebody think about investing in Africa, they need to think about Agent Capital or Unis mm-hmm. Agent. 
like every single time. And that is what worked out for me. If I had, and, 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 and the only reason I was capable of doing that is because of the way I structured my fund. Mm. Small education about the way VC works. <laughs> the way it has been done over many, many years, it is a very secretive industry. And it's mm-hmm. not secretive because that's how people want it to be, but because that's the way the law makes it, right? So if you register your company as a 506B, you can publicly talk about the fact that you're fundraising. It can only be, you can only speak it, speak it with people that um, you actually know, have met, have had a conversation. You can't just get on the internet and say, hey, I'm raising for a VC fund, would you be interested in investing in my fund? And mm-hmm. that has worked out for, guess what? People those network. But when you don't, they recently came out that says you can publicly make statements about your fundraising on the internet. Um, and that is a 506C. I've, had, I've actually had people reach out to me and be like, oh my God, like you posted that. If somebody I wants to invest in a mm-hmm. class, they should reach out to you. Um, don't be careful, you're going to get in trouble. And every single time I have to say, Nope, trouble because this is the way I've structured my fund. And again, people don't know this, like it's so new, and it's an industry that has been kept secret for so long that when you do it, people get skeptical. Oh, the SEC is going to reach out to you, and you're going to be in trouble. Anyway, long story short, my fundraising has been interesting, it's had ups and downs. Super glad because I have, you know, compared to like a lot of fund managers, I have been able to raise some funds. And we recently did a first small close, and now we're just getting started. Um, um, but it, 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 it is still fundraising, and it is, you know, you have to be in it for the long term. I, I personally think I will be fundraising at least for the next couple of years because by the time I even hit my 10 million dollar goal, I'm hitting the next milestone, which is your next. Fun. So um, you just have to be strategic about the relationship you build, the way you let people know about what you're doing, which for me, again, like I mentioned, is an inbound, which means we're very active on social media. We're looking for speaking engagements. We're very active for press mentions. We're big in PR. Um, and then like an outbound strategy where we're actively reaching out to people and asking if they are looking to diversify their portfolio and check Africa, right, as a potential, you know, strategy. Um, mm. And if they say yes, then we introduce them to Agile Capital. If they say no, we hope to change their mind so we keep those relationship ones. Amazing. Just mindful of time. How can people support your work and where can they find more information about you? Yeah, definitely. So, um for me personally, you can find me anywhere on social media platforms, Eunice Ajim, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, <laughs> um, and then our website, Ajim Capital. For founders, we are always looking. We are one of the few VCs that accept applications directly on our website. Just in the last four months, we had a little over a thousand applications. And we, wow. go through, <laughs> we go through every single one of them. Right, because we want to make sure we find the best companies out there that are actually impacting the lives of Africans. So, if you have an amazing idea that is using technology um, and software, right, to impact the lives of Africans, we want to hear from you. Um, and if you're an investor that is interested in um, investing in Africa, I think it's a huge opportunity on the market right now. Um, and VCs and asset class you're willing to explore, uh, we'd love to speak to you. Amazing. Oh, Eunice, your story. Ah, I love your story. <laughs> Chai, you don't know. In six years, what you've done, some people don't do in 60 years, and it's honestly um, commendable. So well done. I'm, I just feel like this is just the beginning. You're just getting started. Like, Thank you. <laughs> the future is so, so bright for you, and I'm, I'm so proud. Like, I'm so proud. Thank so you well so done. Much, and thank you for coming on and sharing your journey with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Amazing. Wow. I'm still blown away by this story of having hit rock bottom, but continued to persist in spite of it. Um, continue to have an outlook of hope about one's business 
And that's really what led her to meeting her co-founders and successfully raising capital and that and doing well and then led her to the Africa opportunity, so to speak. And I just want to touch a little bit about that because I'm often approached by folks that are, you know, curious about Africa, investing in Africa, and just wanted to talk about why it's a compelling investment opportunity. Um, So Africa is the youngest continent on the planet right now. The median age is 18 on the continent. And she's experiencing rapid economic um, and population growth. So by 2050, her population will double. Um, And by 2050, one in four people on the planet will be African. And when we put that into perspective, that means there'll be sustained demand for um, your health, education, anything, so to speak, FMCG across the board, all industries are, are viable. And with continued deficits on the infrastructural side, particularly There's compelling opportunities across the board. And with the median age for Africa does mean that there's rapid adoption of technology. Um, There are more than 500 million internet users in Africa, and that number is set to double. And whilst Africa only has 35 to 55% internet penetration, there's significant growth upside. And we have 93% of Africans that are already mobile savvy, mobile users. Many um, pl- many people have more than one mobile device. So there's Africa really is the future. And when folks get into conversation with me about this, why invest them? Then the next question is, but how? I don't really know anyone on the continent. How do I go about it? I think... I loved how Eunice got into this very organically. Um, She started angel investing and getting to know the players on the ground, getting to know the challenges that they faced, getting to see how she could, you know, bring not just financial capital, but also knowledge capital um, through mentoring, coaching, advising founders on the continent. And I think through going through syndicates like, like Eunice's and there are a couple of others like Future Africa, um, I would definitely recommend that, um, investing with a group of other investors so you can learn from each other and get to know the network. Um, As with other regions, Africa is very much who you know. Um, So building your social capital and your social network is really, really critical. So thank you for tuning in. Definitely encourage you to have a conversation with Yuni. She's a very... um, energetic passionate intelligent lady um who said to do amazing things so thank you for tuning in take good care and god bless you